Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning to those of you who are in our video teaching services today. Thanks for being on mission with us. Those of you who are watching online, good morning, wherever you are. If you have your Bibles today, we're in Daniel chapter three. Daniel chapter three, you're gonna wanna make sure and pull your Bible study materials out of your bulletin or fire up your Journey Church International app as we begin a brand new series titled Grim Reaper. We are going to try over the next five weeks at our church as we move towards Halloween in the month of October to talk to you about a Christian theology on death and suffering. How as a Christian do you move forward when life is too hard to keep going on? How as a Christian do you move forward when you lose someone who's very, very close to you? Those are the questions that we're going to try to answer. You say, Christian, why this series and why at this time? Why this series and why at this time? Every fall, uh, our ministry team gets together and we talk about how to accomplish kind of the core beliefs of our church. We have five core beliefs hanging on the, on the wall down the hallway. We actually have added a six called multiplication. Um, and one of our core beliefs is spiritual growth because we believe every person has a next step. So as we sit and plan our ministry calendar, one of the things we say is how do we help people grow spiritually this year? And we ask questions, what can we do to help people grow spiritually? And last fall, as we talked about this, this coming ministry year, we asked this question, what's keeping people from growing spiritually? Not what will help people grow spiritually, but what's stopping people from growing spiritually? And as our director's team talked about that question, we said, when people suffer, when people walk through a season of loss, a lot of them just kind of unplug spiritually. There are a lot of things that help people grow spiritually, but probably one of the biggest things that just stops people from growing spiritually is when life gets really, really hard or when they lose someone very, very close to them, at that time, people sometimes just totally unplug spiritually. And we said, how can we address that? Because the reality is, far too many people slow down in their spiritual journey, and some just stop completely when suffering and death happen in their life. Dr. Tim Keller puts it this way about how Christians kind of put God to the test in these seasons. He says, putting God to the test is one of the essential impulses of the human heart. No matter what God has done for us in our past, our heart continues to say, but what have you done for me lately? And the evil of this is that we reverse places with God. We put him on probation, making our relationship conditional on how well we think God performs. And when we suffer or when we experience death, most of us don't think God is pulling his weight. A lot of Christians kind of worship God, love God, lean into God, want to grow spiritually on a conditional basis. What Keller is saying in this quote is basically this, if you have your sermon notes with you today. If our relationship with Jesus is conditional on things being all good all the time, we should be concerned. That's what Dr. Keller is saying. If our relationship with Jesus is conditional on never suffering, if our relationship with Jesus is conditional on never having to move through a season of grief, we should be concerned. If we think Christianity is all good all the time, we should be concerned because life is not all good all the time. And Jesus promised in John 16, not that if you followed him, life would be all good all the time. But he said this, in this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, you're going to suffer. In this world, you're going to have to process grief. In this world, you're going to move through death. But take heart, I've overcome the world. He didn't say life would be all good all the time. He said when you go through difficult times, you'll have all of me. And you can make it. See, what we believe is that a proper perspective, which we're going to try to learn over the next five weeks, on suffering death can actually lead to powerful spiritual growth in our hardest spiritual times. 
And as a ministry team, we've taken our collective years of ministry, a couple hundred years of ministry between all of our ministry team that serves, and we said we've seen people really withdraw from God when suffering and death happens, but we believe if we can understand good theology, if we can understand biblical principles, that not only will people not pull away, people will dive in and they'll experience their greatest seasons of growth in their hardest times of life. That's what we want for you as a church. And that's what we want for your Christian family members and your Christian friends who you've watched just kind of walk away because they've walked through suffering and death and they don't know what to do. This series is going to speak to two groups of people. The larger group of people that's here, that's in our video teaching service, that's watching online, are people who maybe in their distant past have been impacted by suffering and death. And you're looking forward to learning what you could have done different or people who in the distant future will be impacted by suffering and death. And you're thinking, this is going to be really good truth for me to learn. I'm going to need this one day. And then there's a very small percentage of you who are right now, today, in a season of suffering and death. And my prayer for you in this series, first, I want you to know I'm going to try to say everything that I can in this series as sensitively and as humbly as I can because I know you're hurting I know your bruise is very, very fresh. And I know to even talk about suffering and death to people who are going through suffering and death can almost be a turnoff. So I, I, want, I want to acknowledge you. And I want you to know that I might not have a whole lot of truth for your heart right now because your guards are probably up. But if you'll listen, if you'll take notes and you'll just file it away for a time where you might be a little healthier and you go back and look at it, I think you'll find the truth of Scripture bringing comfort to your situation. But I want you to know we're praying for you specifically as we walk through this series. As a matter of fact, let's start this series by praying together here and in our video teaching service. If you bow your heads with me, God, we pray today as a church that over the next five weeks, you'll help us learn how to deal with suffering. You'll help us learn how to deal with death in a way that brings us closer to you and allows us to leverage our hurt ultimately for someone else's healing. God, you told us that things would not be all good all the time. So teach us how to deal with difficult seasons. If you're here today or in our video teaching service, if you just take a deep breath right now. And if you're hurting, if you're suffering, if you're walking through death, would you ask God to help you? Or if you have a friend who in real time today is hurting, suffering, walking through death, would you ask God to teach you something that might help them? God, that's our prayer that you'd speak to our hearts today, that what we learn would not be head knowledge, but that it would be heart comfort, and it would really make a difference in our lives. We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. We're in Daniel chapter 3. Familiar story for those of you who have maybe been raised around the church. In Daniel chapter 1, just in case you say, who's Daniel? What's going on in Daniel chapter 3? In Daniel chapter 1, uh, there's an army from the country of Babylon that attacks and conquers a portion of Israel, and they basically take all of the Ivy League students of Israel captive back to Babylon. They take the smartest, wealthiest, all the kids of the politicians, and they take them back to Babylon, and they say, for three years, we're going to teach them how to be Babylonians, and then we'll send them back to Israel, and they'll rule Israel, but on behalf of Babylon. Four of those guys were named Daniel, and then three of his friends were given Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they, they were taken to Babylon to become Babylonians, but because of their deep faith and their deep character, the people who were in charge of the Babylonians said, we're going to let them worship their God because we actually think 
that makes them better. In Daniel chapter 2, that's Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 2, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has this horrible dream that no one can interpret for him. But Daniel prays. God allows him to interpret the dream. So then they say, these guys don't just have high character. These guys are full of spiritual wisdom. So they're going to be in Babylon doing their thing. But we're going to let them be Jews spiritually because their God seems to be deeply impacting them and making them better. In Daniel chapter 3, Daniel, we think, is out of town on some kind of official business. And Nebuchadnezzar, this crazy narcissistic king, has decided to build a 90-foot-tall golden statue of himself in the plain of Dura, which is 45 miles south of modern-day Baghdad. And he brings out all of these students, all these refugees, to, to ask them to worship this idol, to worship him as the king of Babylon. He sets up this fiery furnace, if you can picture it, a baseball dugout that's basically on fire filled with flames. And he says, everyone is going to worship this idol of me. And if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And everyone worships it, but Daniel's three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, no, we, we worship the God of Israel. We're not going to do that. That did not sit well. So Nebuchadnezzar called him up and said, listen, if you don't worship this, you're going to have to go into the fire. That's where we pick up Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 is where we'll start, but keep your Bibles open because we'll come back to the end of the chapter before we finish today. They're standing before the king of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel three sixteen, replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter, not worshiping your idol. If... We are thrown into the blazing furnace. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We have two goals in today's message, kind of foundational to the series. The first goal is this. We want to begin to build a theology. It's just We want to have a starting point. We want to begin to build a theology of suffering and death for the present and future realities of suffering death that we will face. Now, if you're taking notes on a piece of paper, you might circle the word theology. Here's what we're doing in this. I want to teach you what to think about God when you suffer. But theology is more about more than what we think of God. Theology is about what we know of God. So what we're going to try to do is begin to build what we know to be true about God. When we suffer, when we go through moments of death, we want to have rock solid our belief about God. So a theology of suffering and death is what we know to be true about God, even when we suffer, even when we walk through death. A theology is what we know to be true about God because that time is coming in all of our lives. And then number two, here's my second goal today. And for some of you, this is, this is where you're living. We need to learn how to live in the furnace of even when God does not. Some of us need to learn how to live in the furnace of even when God does not. Because I don't know if you saw Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 really clearly, but there's a really powerful line in there that some of you are experiencing spiritually. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, if you have your Bible open, you need to underline the word, he's able. He's able. He's able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand, but even... If he does not, here's the furnace that some of you are living in. God was able to keep your mom and dad from getting cancer, but he did not. God was able to keep you from losing your job, but he did not. God was able to keep your parents from getting divorced, but he did not. God was able to keep your loved one from dying. Like we believe that he's all powerful, but he did not. So what do we do 
when we live in the furnace of believing God is able, but experiencing that, that, he, that he did not, what do we do? You say, Christian, what are we going to learn the next five weeks? That. What do we do when we know God is able? We know he's able. We worship him as able. But he did not. That's what this series is about. It's going to take us five weeks to really wrap our heads around it, to get our hands around it. But we're going to try our very, very best to do that. How are we going to do it? We're going to talk about two things today. Number one, building a theology of death and suffering. What do we know to, to be true about God even when everything goes wrong, even when we lose someone closest? What do, what do we know to be true? Build a theology of death and suffering. Last week, we were in the Garden of Eden with Eve and the lies of the devil. The big one was this. You're not going to die. That was a big lie. You're not going to die. Listen, condescending lie. <laughs> Eve, 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 you're not going to die. And then, they, and then they did. The promise of creation that God gave Adam and Eve was that I have made you perfect people in a perfect world. And I've given you a perfect opportunity to be obedient. However, you can also choose to do things your own way if you want to. But if you do that, you are going to die. And it will impact everyone who comes after you negatively because your choices will choose whether the human race is going to live forever in eternity through obedience or whether they're going to do their own thing and end up dying. What we believe as we talk about theology, what do we know about God? We believe because of sin, our world is broken and it results in the physical death of everyone. We have to begin this kind of this series with, with why we believe death exists in the first place. We believe because of sin. God did not create a world with sin, but he created a world able to sin because he gave them free will. God did not create a world with death, but it had the ability to die if it chose to live in rebellion to God, and it did. We believe because of sin, our world is broken, and it results in the physical death of everyone. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the apostle Paul is trying to teach the church at Rome why people need Jesus, and he said, it's because everyone's going to die. That's why people need Jesus, because everyone is going to die. He said, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man... And then death came through sin. In this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Everyone dies because of sin. Sin is the reason. Everyone dies because of sin. And Jesus can fix that. Jesus can fix sin, and he can fix eternal life. Now, I want to be honest with you. A theology of death and suffering has to begin with this truth. They're coming. As Christians... Our starting point for talking about death and suffering has to be the reality of them. We can't be people who dismiss it. We can't be people who deny it. We can't be people who hide from it. Our theology of death and suffering has to begin with this reality. They're coming. I've never met somebody who doesn't believe this truth. I have never. I'm only 41. I've got, I've got a long way to go, hopefully. But I've never met somebody who does not believe that all people die. I've not met one. I've not met one, but I've met too many who have no belief system for how to deal with that. So they believe the truth. Yeah, sure, death's coming. Of course that's coming. But they don't have a belief system to deal with it. Scholastic anthropologists who are basically scholars who study the history of humanity to learn how human beings have adjusted and lived for thousands of years have studied kind of how culture has dealt with death, found meaning in death, survived suffering and grief. And they've come up with kind of this as they look at our world today in the year 2019. Sociologists and anthropologists 
have analyzed and compared the various ways that cultures train their members for grief, pain, and loss. And when this comparison is done, it's often noted that our own contemporary secular culture, Western culture, is one of the weakest and worst at history in doing so. They've studied how cultures of the world have dealt with death and suffering, found meaning in death and suffering, moved forward in times of death and suffering. And they said the current climate of the Western civilization, the one we live in, is the absolute worst at dealing with, processing, living through death and suffering. And I think that's because we have denied and dismissed and not developed a belief system for it. I had probably my saddest moment in this auditorium yesterday. Yesterday we had a funeral for a little boy who only lived eight of his nine months in the womb. Um, And very tragically, two weeks ago, passed away. His mother had to give birth to him. And yesterday we, we had his funeral. Maybe the saddest moment that's ever occurred in this auditorium when his dad picked up his little coffin and, and carried it out as the, as the lone pallbearer of the funeral. It was awful. It was, it was awful. And every now and then, sadly, that won't be the first. It wasn't the first funeral of a child I've done. It won't be the last. Um, but every time that happens, I find myself talking with parents of kids, saying something like this. I don't, I don't know how I would do it. I don't know how I would get through it. I can't imagine what they're going through. I don't, I don't know... I don't know how anyone could bury a child. Some of you have. Some of you in our video teaching service have. Some of you watching online have. But I don't know how anyone could do it. And every now and then when I have those conversations, I'll hear this from someone, and they're dead serious. When I say, I don't know how I would deal with that, I'll hear someone say, I'm not going to deal with that because I just plan to die first. I just plan to die first. I plan to die before my children. Parents are not supposed to bury their children. Children are supposed to bury their parents. So my plan... For anything tragic happens, I just plan to die first, which, which makes sense. I mean, talking in grief, that makes sense. But then if you ask that same person this question, well, what do you, how do you plan to process the death of your spouse one day? Because we all believe the people that we're married to will one day die. How do you plan to process that? I hear too many people say stuff like, well, I just, I just plan to die first. And if you go further, you say, well, how do you plan to process the death of your aging parents, you're 50, your parents are in your 80s. How do you, how do you, how do you plan to process that? And they have to say, well, I just, I just, now it's not I plan, but I just hope to die first. They're basically saying, I just never want to deal with death. I just hope I go first so I never have to deal, so I just never have to deal with it. Listen, folks, planning to die first is not a theology that's going to help you get through this life that we live in. It's not a theology that's going to help you get through this life. As you study kind of culture, what you learn from anthropologists is that today's generation is more shocked and undone by suffering and death than our ancestors are, especially when it comes to our faith walk. Death today is more shocking to our souls than it's ever been, which is crazy because it's more rare today than it's ever been. Think about this. Less than 400 years ago in medieval Europe, One in five babies died before the age of five. It was just the average. Half of all children died before the age of 10. Half. If you have two, one of them wouldn't have lived to 11. If you have four, two of them would not have lived to 11. Just a law of averages. They all died in the home. They were all buried on family land. They didn't die in hospitals and get to go to a cemetery. Yet, when you read the journals and the faith logs of that generation, you see such strength, such resolve, such faith, such courage, such hope. People who experienced way more death than we will ever experience as a normal part of life, but who had 
such deep courage and faith and strength in the face of that as opposed to our generation who is experiencing less death on average than any generation who has lived before it but who has less ability to deal with the small number that we deal with than any generation that has ever lived. What's wrong with us? Dr. Paul Brand is a kind of a world-renowned orthopedist in, in the area of leprosy. He makes orthopedic attachments for people who have lost limbs to leprosy. He spent the first half of his career in his life in India treating patients there, and then he came to America and spent the last half of his life treating leprosy patients in America. And after nearly 50 years in India and after about 30 years in America, here's how he assessed Americans dealing with grief and suffering. He said this, in the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than any I had previously treated, but seemed far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. What do we need? We need a theology. We need a belief system for how to deal with suffering and death. Because watch this. If we don't develop a theology for death and suffering, we'll have no plan when they come. And here's the scary part. If we have no plan for death and suffering, we will have no exit from death and suffering. And a death 10 years ago will stop us in our tracks as husbands, as wives, as parents, as productive citizens, as servants at church, as followers of Jesus. If we have no theology, we'll have no plan. And if we have no plan, we have no exit. And we spend our life stuck on the most miserable day of our life instead of being able to walk through suffering and death. So what do we need to do? We need to develop a plan. Because, because this, having no plan for death and suffering, that's a bad plan. Having no plan for death and suffering is a very bad plan. It's a very dangerous plan. But here's where the tension begins. Because most of you, most of you watching online, most of you in our video, in our video service, most of you sitting in here will say something like this. Christian, my plan was God. My plan was Jesus. My plan was church. I do have a plan for death and suffering. I'm going to trust God with all that because I know he is able, but then he does not. What do we do? What do we do, number two, when we're living in the furnace of even when God does not? What do we do when we live in the furnace of God is able, but he didn't? What do we do? You heard me say having no plan for death and suffering is a bad plan, and that's true. But you also need to understand this, having no perspective during death and suffering, not knowing how you're going to think before you get there, will lead to a bad perspective, I promise you. Not having a plan for how you will think as you go through death and suffering will lead you to think in a really bad way spiritually. Satan will use it in a powerful but negative way. Some of you today, today find yourself in the place of Job chapter 3. Have you ever found yourself in the place of Job chapter 3, verses 25 and 26? Is not a really good place to, to be. Job looked at his life, and here's what he said. He said, what I feared has come upon me. The thing that I never wanted to go through, I'm going through. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace. I have no quietness. I have no rest. I only have turmoil. Job said, the one thing that I feared going through my entire life, I'm going through. The one thing I dreaded going through my entire life, I'm going through. I have no peace. I have no quietness. I have no rest. I have only turmoil. God was able, but he did not. And this is my reality. What do we do when we live in the furnace of God does not? How do we think 
when this is us or it's somebody really, really close to us. I don't know about you. I always try to put myself in, this, in the pages of Scripture. I always try to put myself in the stories of the Bible. I don't know about you, but I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to be shocked when Nebuchadnezzar actually followed through on his threat and God let him. I think they had to be shocked. He had threatened in Daniel chapter 1 to not let him eat or worship the way they wanted to. They stood up and he changed his mind. He had, he had threatened in Daniel chapter 2 to kill everyone who couldn't translate his dream. And then, and then he didn't. I, I think they had to think, listen, if you stand up to this guy, he's a bully. He backs down. He's not going to really throw us in the fire. And even if he'd want to, God wouldn't let him. I think they had to be shocked when he said, all right, tie him up. Let's, let's go. I mean, Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, really bold. I mean, I love it. You read what they wrote and you read what they said and you think, man, these, like, these guys were strong. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, if, I think it was a big if, I think that should be capital I, capital F, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from you and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I think that was a hypothetical. Even if he doesn't, then, then we're not gonna worship your idol of gold, even if he doesn't. I think they believed verses 17 through 18. I just don't think they meant it. Have you, like, have you ever had something like that? Where you fully believe something in your head, you just don't feel it in your heart? I believe my God is able. But then he does not. What do we do? I'm, I'm convinced they really thought God would keep them from going in the fire. But then he did not. But that is when the miracle occurred. The miracle actually occurred when God did not step in to, to let them avoid suffering and death because they were bound up. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. It says that the fire was so hot that the people who threw them in died from the heat. They stumble into the fiery furnace. And you can see Nebuchadnezzar wiping his hands saying, well, they got what they deserved. You know, next and then he peers into the fiery furnace. And it says in Daniel chapter 3, verse 24, go to the next verse, guys. King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And he asked his advisors, hang on. Weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace. He yelled out to the men inside. It was awesome. Go to the next slide, God, as, as you, if you would. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire in the satraps. The prefects, the governors, the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of the fire on them. You say, what had happened? Two key things that we need to understand as we start this series in the face of God is able, but he did not. My, my God is able, but for some reason he did not. Truth number one, the miracle was surviving the fire, not avoiding it. You have to understand that in a world of brokenness, in a world of suffering, in a world of pain, in a world of death, sometimes the miracle is surviving the fire not avoiding it. You say, Christian, if avoiding it is an option, can I pray for that first? I would. I would. I think God doesn't want me in the fire. 
I'm sure God doesn't want me in the fire. I know God can keep me in the fire. Holy cow, I'm in the fire. Like, yes, I, yes, I'm going to pray first to avoid the fire. But Jesus says, in the world, you're going to have trouble. In the world, you're going to have trouble. So to pray you never have trouble is actually, it's, actually, it's just backwards because Jesus said, I told you you would. So maybe we should change our prayers from God help me to avoid the trouble to God be with me in the trouble. Because sometimes the miracle is not avoiding the trouble, it's surviving the trouble. And listen, if you are a Christian today who has Jesus in your life, no matter what suffering and death you are going through, if you will cling to him, you're going to make it. Your miracle will be survival. Not avoidance, but you're going to make it. You're going to make it. We trust God for you that you're going to make it. And then the second key truth is this. The presence of God in the furnace brought an intimacy that the protection of God from the furnace could have never brought. Had they not been thrown into the fire, they wouldn't have known God could actually rescue them in the midst of it. But how did he rescue them? He didn't keep them from the fire. Watch this. He joined them in the fire. I said yesterday at the funeral that we had, Christianity is a set of beliefs. It's not a list of answers. I can't, I can't answer every question spiritual. I don't know why things happen when they happen. I don't know why all of us experience the things that we do. Sometimes you can't know why, but you can know why not. And when it comes to the issue of suffering and death, the answer isn't that God doesn't care. We don't know why, but because of Jesus' actions, we can, we can know why it's not. Listen to what Keller says as he speaks again on grief and suffering. He said, if we ask the question, why does God allow evil and suffering to continue? And then we look at the cross of Jesus. We still don't know what the answer is. However, we now know what the answer isn't. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he's indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our misery and our suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. So I don't know why, I don't know why God is allowing you to walk through the suffering that you're going through. I don't know why God has allowed you to experience the grief through death that you've allowed. But I, but I, know, that, I know why it's not. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he doesn't care about you. It's not because he doesn't think suffering is a big deal. Because he proved with his life as a suffering servant that he understood the pain we were going through. And here's what you need to understand from Daniel chapter 3 to a hill called Calvary. Here's what you need to understand. The suffering and death that God does not protect us from he joins us in through Jesus. And what you need to be convinced of today as we develop this theology of death and suffering is it's, they're coming. It's just a world we live in. Our world is broken. Sin has broken us and everyone around us. The theology of death and suffering states that it's coming and that every piece of death and suffering that God does not protect us from he joins us in through Jesus, so we are not alone. We're going to end this series differently than we end most of our services at our church because this is a heavy subject matter, and I don't just want to kind of say an amen and give each other a high five and leave. So I've asked our worship team through this series to help me just kind of let this truth marinate, to give you a moment to pray, to give you kind of a moment to just wrestle with what we've been speaking in a song of worship. So I'm going to invite our worship team to the stage going to invite our campus pastor and our video service to the stage. And they're going to introduce a new song that I heard a few weeks ago that when I heard it, I thought, what an incredible picture. It comes from Daniel chapter three. 
It's called There's Another in the Fire. And if you've heard the song, the bridge to this song goes this. There was another in the fire standing next to me. There was another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free, there's a cross that bears the burden where another died for me because there's another in the fire. The tension of the Christian life is our God is able, but sometimes he does not. We find ourselves in the furnace, but the promise of the Christian life is we will never be in the furnace alone. You say, I feel alone. It's because you're not looking around. Your, your perspective, because you, you didn't realize he would be there to begin with, your perspective has told you he's not there, but if you would stop and look around, you'd find him. Having no plan is a bad plan. Because if we can learn what God does not keep us from, he joins us in. It's not going to eliminate suffering and death, but we'll be able to walk through it. We'll be able to have an exit. And once we walk through it, we'll realize when others in our life are in the furnace... We can go back and stand with them because we know we can make it through because of Jesus. We're going to pray. And then our team is going to kind of sing this song over you. If you know someone right now who's suffering, who's hurting, pray for them. If you know someone in the furnace, pray for them. If you are in the furnace, ask Jesus to make himself real to you. If you say, I've really struggled in the past letting go of suffering and death, ask God through this series to speak to your heart. And to give you a theology of death and suffering that made you victorious spiritually. That allowed you to become strongest in your hardest times. Halfway through our worship leader is probably going to have you stand and sing with them. But for the first part, we just want you to kind of worship in your seats. And let the truth of what we've learned settle over you today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Jesus, help us to see the brokenness of our world. And the promises of your word that guarantee trouble, suffering, and death. So they don't shock us. But help us to develop a theology that gives us a plan and a perspective. And ultimately victory and growth in our hardest seasons. God, thank you that the fires that you don't protect us from, you join us in. Let us always believe that there's another in the fire. And let us take comfort from his presence there with us. We love you. And God, we ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen.
set free There is a cross that bears the burden Where another died for me There is another in the fire All my dead left for dead beneath the waters And I'm no longer a slave to my sin Did I fall in the space between what remains of me and this reckoning? Either way, I will bow to the things of this world. Cause I know, I know I will never be alone. There is another in the fire. you guys to stand if you are able. There is another in the fire. Oh, another in the fire. Oh, there is another in the fire. Oh, and I can see the light in the darkness.
I know that's where you'll be I count the joy come every back I know that's where you'll be I count the joy come every back no, that's where That's good truth, you guys. That's good truth. Not if, but when. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with us. If you don't hear anything from today, hear this. You are not alone. God is with you. God is for you. And the suffering and death that God does not protect us from he joins us in through Jesus. He is with you. He is for you. Amen. Amen.